What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for joining us here for this Wednesday edition of Fantasy MLB Today. We got a very special show ahead. We have someone here who has not appeared on the show before. I've been a fan of his for a long time. I'm going to let you, are we going to let him talk about all the great work he does? John Legaza, MLB Moving Averages. How you doing, man? <laughs> all right. I'm great, man. Thank you so much. Hey, everybody. Yeah, I'm at MLB Moving AVG on the Bird app. Right now, I have a daily baseball show on the Mayo Media Net. That's on YouTube, but it's also all your podcast uh, providers. It's under Fantasy Baseball Picks and Bats. If you can check me out on Twitter, it's a, kind of the bloodline to everything. I wouldn't even know really how to describe it, Joe. If you've ever caught it, I'm not really sure. It's kind of all things to all people. It started off as betting, fantasy, and daily play, which I guess kind of is everything. But then I do my own spin because I really like... Hopefully we'll do some of it today. You know, a bit of where I've kind of pushed, you know, or at least tried to push to the edge of the four of our understanding for baseball. Some of the more advanced stuff, you know, pitch shape, arsenal dissection. The things where a lot of the analysis that we hear on very good podcasts from very, very good analysts, where that's left us. But the new technology has kind of opened a new pathway to understanding. And now you can see where my show starts in one place and ends up in another one. So everyone check it out. Cork stats is a lot of fun. I'm also be doing some football if you're into that other sport, but yeah, Joe, thanks man. I'm looking forward to this. It'd be a lot of fun. I haven't like done a, you know, it's like a long form type of podcast in a while. Yeah. It's uh, always great to have people like you on, especially Italians. You know, I'm always a little biased towards <laughs> uh, bringing on my fellow Paisan. So always a great time. I've been recently catch, been catching up on old PitchCon videos. And I mentioned this to you the other day. I was looking at your video and my brain is scatterbrained. So I'm still about, I'm about three quarters of the way through, but I really like what you're talking about there in terms of losing the win. It's a category uh. that caused me a lot of headaches this season. Uh, both when I should have gotten the win and, you know, pitchers facing me who shouldn't really deserve a win and they got one anyway, lost the week because of it. I, I really enjoyed what you're doing there. I don't know if it'll catch on in the mainstream because everybody's kind of just so set in their ways with the wins and quality starts a little bit, but I think you did a great job there, man. Thank you. You know, what's funny is the accompanying article was nominated for baseball article of the year by FSWA. So like, oh, me. well, <laughs> it didn't win and nobody cared. <laughs> You know, and I get it because of exactly what you said. I think the work is, it's very firm. And we're referring to just briefly, because you can check it out. It is free. And I suggest people check that out, even not just to shamelessly keep, you know, promoting my own stuff. But what Joe mentioned before, the PitchCon videos, he's, this isn't even, he's on 2021. It was a 2022 and it is a, it is a wealth of information you could just kind of check the, the table of contents and there's something for everybody my my one this year was awesome as well and I'm, I'm like doing monster victory laps already because again it was i was trying to push to the four this kind of advanced pitching analysis at the top of the draft board where we need to have minutiae right where we need to kind of be really nitpicky and i was way off walker bueller like run for the hills from walker bueller i had zach wheeler as sp1 overall then max scherzer and then walker bueller gap 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 walker bueller so check out the PitchCon stuff i re- recommend everybody always kind of expand right expand that knowledge because joe i was just looking at your stuff and that's what you're it seems like you're really good at it and i'm a i guess i'm a good enough place to start right <laughs> what i'm trying to do is just trying to find my way in this world. I know there are so many people making <laughs> so many people making content and there's so many podcasts and you don't want to do something that somebody else is already doing and be accused of, you know, you're doing my work and that, that was my article that you're talking about now yeah. or 
just trying to find little niches. And that's something that you, you've done really, I think, very well between your personality and your content. I think that people are really drawn to you. Uh, so I'm really excited here to kick this thing off. I want to start off with kind of maybe a he- not a heavy hitter question, but I think these are the two biggest names we're probably going to talk about today. Shane McClanahan and Sandy Alcantara. McClanahan's not been so sharp recently. I've been a little worried about him, and he's fallen off in the betting futures for Cy Young here. And Sandy Alcantara, I just feel like they push him a little bit too far in their starts. Every single time out, seven, eight innings, always 100-plus pitches. How worried are you about these two guys? If you're in a league where you can still trade, would you be trying to move off of them and get back somebody of similar value, or are you comfortable keeping them? No, I think you'd have to ride them, right? If they brought you to the dance, dance with them. <laughs> I'm, I'm also very reticent of projecting workloads on professional teams, particularly ones that compete. So that addresses McClanahan. I just don't think the Rays have the luxury of doing that right now. You know, it's a, the open playoff format. It's funny. It, le- it lets more people in, but it also pushes more people out almost because it's a, you just get this kind of that Heathcliff dust cloud going around. So I'm trying not to predicate any real action on workload, especially like you said, it's, it's just to push back on who's to say. I mean, it, we might be entering a time where, and this is again, not just guessing, it's inferred data backed, at least partially coming off of COVID. We had a record high in. I wouldn't even know what you call it. Year over year increases, let's call it. Y over Y deltas. Because pitchers just didn't have the time. You know, they just didn't, they didn't have the means to do that. And then they had a full season and tons of, I mean, tons of pitchers between 21 and 20 year over year just completely blew a lot of what we thought about. Oh, 50 innings. They completely blew it out of the water, you know, and some analysts and handicappers were getting themselves in trouble forecasting workload. When I think, we could be in this, I don't know, but we could be in a new turning of if you're healthy and you got the bullets, you just go for it. And I'm not saying we're ever going to go back to, you know, Bob Gibson's 48 complete games in a row, whatever it was. You know, I'm not saying that, but I am saying what you're talking about, where 110 pitches a start historically is, is not a, a tremendous workload. And what we may be seeing, Joe, is a correction. What we saw was an overcorrection, and this is like a pendulum maybe finding equilibrium right and finding maybe this is what we're going to be doing is allowing guys when they're healthy and again to the advanced stuff all this stuff ties in pitching velocity we know is everything the guy's throwing 97 he's fine you know if he's mean if he and all the diagnostics check out if he's throwing his fastball mechanics are good release point is good spin is good you know vertical break hard there's a lot that we understand now more than just velo He's good. You let him go. You know, you got to let him go. Yes, it's weird. There is a theory that more work begets more work, right? That strengthening occurs opposed to kind of baby. The way I see it with Alcantara especially is that once we get into those final maybe two weeks of the regular season and the fish have, you know, waved the white flag and they know for sure. I mean, we already know at this point, but they officially know they're not going anywhere. Are we really going to see in that head-to-head playoff crunch time, is he still going to be going seven, eight innings, throwing 110 pitches, 115 pitches? I just don't know that from the Marlins' point of view, is that even worth it at that point? I mean, this is going to be his third straight full season of reaching that 200-inning threshold, which historically, you're right, it hasn't really been a thing. I got Mark Burley was one of my favorite pitchers growing up. Every season, 200 innings. didn't matter what was going on, 200 innings, 200 innings. Now it's such an anomaly that I feel like teams will try and avoid it, and I just – 
I don't know. I feel like the Rays have been a little bit smarter with McClanahan. They're not pushing him so far, and that's typical Rays using openers. And we saw it a couple of days ago with Drew Rasmussen. Three perfect innings against the Tigers, and they pulled him at thirty-three pitches. Like, what the hell is that? That I don't. That I. That I don't get because there's a break in consistency. I thought we were going again. I'm, I'm not saying Rasmussen would ever be a seven inning guy. No, but I thought it was. A, I thought we were getting five, five quality, and we were hoping it'd be after an opener, even right, and you'd get the uh, qualify for the win. I'm, I'm. You're never going to get me to a point where I understand the jerking of the workload. That we're going. If you want to pitch me a theory of reduced workload, let's follow through. And if you want to push me a strength begetting strength, let's follow through. I don't like. That type of disparity, because that to me, that intuitively seems like it would be a problem. Well, that leads me to believe that, like, what are they going to do with McClanahan? I can't imagine that Drew Rasmussen is such a high priority for them. McClanahan is the crown jewel over there. I mean, maybe you could argue Wander Wander Franco, you could maybe argue. But those last couple weeks of the season, let's say that they're secure in a wild card spot and you're talking those head-to-head finals or semifinals, he might go three or four innings like a Freddie Peralta from last season or maybe skip a start. I just... I worry a little bit with the Rays because they're just so unpredictable. I don't really yeah. know what to make of them. Well, I mean, you, you should. That's, you know, that's your, you're being observant. I think now we're caught in the gray area, right? Once you identify something that could have an impact, it's if you should react. And if so, like how aggressively. And I think there's enough there that it's not just noise. And I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to, demean it i think there may be signal there but i think trying to determine how to act while we're in the middle of this is going to be impossible and if we're talking about selling off a piece of this caliber they're so rare like are there any who are you who are you getting i mean who are you getting back if you brought back verlander what the idea is what verlander they don't care about him enough they're just gonna let him go so it's just it's weird i i tend to go with you know trading adages right the trend is our friend we've seen them let these guys go get it I think they're going to continue to let them go get it. I looked at last year. The Marlins were way out of it. And so far out of it, they were selling off. He threw eight innings minimum, two starts in a row in September. This is Sandy Alcantara last year. So they, I don't think I don't think about it. So I think where well, you may be onto something is maybe rockier starts, have a quicker hook. But I think if he's cruising, I think you let him do his thing. He's working. Plus, you know, he wants the Cy Young. They want the notoriety. I think these guys are friends. And there's an aspect of old school mentality coaching. So. Yeah, I think that might be a part of it, like you said, with him going eight innings. He kind of needs to go that deep in order to have that kind of value this season, it seems. The strikeouts haven't been quite what we maybe would have thought. So that's been a huge portion of his value is his ability to work into the seventh, eighth inning pretty much every single time out here. (laughs) Wow. Maybe we can pivot to another uh, Marlins pitcher here. And this is kind of like a more open question, but... I've been really impressed recently with Braxton Garrett, with George Kirby, and with Reed Detmers. I think they're all in a similar kind of group of young, emerging, uh, maybe studs is a little bit too strong here. You're the stud. You're a big Johnny stud. You know him. <laughs> but, no, it takes one to know him, right? <laughs> <laughs> but I think these guys have all made really, really big strides throughout the season. How would you be looking to rank them going forward here, even for the rest of this season and going into next year? Well, I- you and I are pretty simpatico in our interests because I'd say these three young pitchers are will absolutely be covered in the most granular detail in the offseason. Absolutely. I'm, I'm already earmarking certain people because, again, you know, I know people are familiar, but I, I just kind of jumped on with Mayo. We didn't even really have anything. He said, you have a good product. I have this brand. Let's try doing stuff. And I said, okay, let's do baseball stuff. And I started doing these deep fantasy dives Without really knowing where I was going. And by the end of it, 
the season started, so we kind of left it to the side. Now I'm really looking forward to exactly that. Again, some of the stuff I mentioned at PitchCon, we'll be doing deep, deep dives. So these are all kind of secondary dives. But I would say easily for me, it's Reed Detmers. I have been just banging the drum is almost an understatement. I put a hole in the drum, yelling <laughs> at people about it. You know, and in fact, I, it's, I, I'm so transparent in my losses. I think you have to be. That's another part of it. I, you know, you wanted to mention you trying to make way. The best way to do that is to add value but fill a space. And I think that's what I did. I think the betting space was kind of low IQ, and I think it was really kind of shifty and had a bad, just a, not a great reputation, you know? So I thought, hey, let's try and bring some fundamental intellectual honesty and then be transparent. Okay, so to that, I bet against Reed Detmers his first start after the promotion. So, like, who would be bragging about <laughs> betting against a guy who shut the door and, you know, he tomahawk slammed in my face or whatever? And that was after a tremendous start in the minor leagues. But just going to show you, I don't buy the reasons. I don't care. I really don't care. There are a lot of pitchers that dominate in AAA that don't in the bigs because Detmers was running a very high foul ball rate, which kind of makes sense. It's intuitive, right? He wasn't winning along the edges, you know, right? Major league hitters were able to get just enough on it where that would be a strikeout in the minor leagues. It's not in the major leagues. So I figured, let's go get this guy. He ended up looking excellent. Now it's like, okay, this could be a thing. James Anderson who was probably one of, one of, if not my favorite prospect analysts, was very big on Reed Detmers. We have him on overdraft and old teams. And he looked terrible. You know, kind of eat L's, it happens. You know what I mean? My belly's full of them. <laughs> but I decided to do, again, these... So when I say, like, half a deep dive, for some people, this is, like, as deep as they go, right? And I broke up the diagnostics. Detmers, man, it's been really, really impressive. I mean, really impressive. So this is not like a... This is not like a what-have-you-bet-a-ball-luck thing at all, right? So Velo... At its high in season, he doubled his horizontal upside run in in, in a, over the year in the course of the year, I should say. So like these these are not not like this is not nothing, and he did that without losing. Uh, I don't want to call it flatness, but I should say without adding any steepness to his fastball. And, and that's, I don't want to drag people into the weeds where I know I tend to sleep sometimes. But the idea being, people is. Be, be careful when you hear people say, like, a, a fastball straight is an arrow. Like, you almost wish it would be in one dimension because that's what a rising fastball is. It doesn't actually rise. It just doesn't sink as much compared to the field. And if you throw that high and it doesn't sink, it's further away from the bat. It's harder to get to. And if you throw it fast, velo, good, uga, uga, you know, that's a very good fastball. Okay. So Detmer's just really, like, in season gave you what you thought you were going to get. And the diagnostic showed it. He added new shape to that slider that we were expecting that we never got. And even with like the no hitter, it was one of those AJ Burnett no hitters. One of those that you're not really too proud of, right? Tons Two of strikeouts. Walks. Yeah, lots of walks, back of trade. You know what I mean? Just it wasn't it wasn't dominating. If that's possible, a no hitter would be dominating. So Detmers me is at the four at the top because he had the the most shine. I think we saw the hiccup already, right? Because a lot of times chasing prospects, you got to be careful. There was going to be a peak, a valley, I should say. And a lot of times at the outset, whether or not you're going to get it in time or if you have the patience, Detmers, I think, telegraphed that. Meaning, I think the trajectory is now set for a pitcher that's like a tremendous keeper asset, like buy high, get him, keep him. He has a chance to be like an ace, really. Is he your favorite out of the three between yeah, him and Yeah, he Braxton is my Garrett. favorite out of the two, out of the three. Then it would be Garrett 
for sure. Because I just keep running across his name when I do those advanced leaderboards on my show. I'm playing in all these leagues, too. And it's very difficult to find talent in 15-team leagues, in particular on the pitching side. It's tough to find pitching in 12-team leagues. But Garrett lighting up a lot of these boards – and like you said, in-season improvements with the 5% walk rate in the year, 13% swinging strike. There is re- really a lot of stuff to like there. You know, the contact rate is so high for that type of swinging strike rate. Oh, we lost it here, John. And you can go all the way in. Usually this tells me he can shift. Right, like a paddle shift between strikeout pitcher and weak contact pitcher. And having the ability to do that is what gets you deep into games because you can't always be looking for a million strikeouts because, again, that's going to limit right what you have to do. So then it's going to be Kirby, and I have to admit, he's the one I know the least about. And looking at these season stats, they're starting to catch up with maybe what we expected to begin because I know from my handicapping work looking at Kirby every day, I was disappointed at first. It just felt underwhelming, and I know he was really, really struggling against righties, right? So, again, I'm looking at it right now. He has a you know, 900 OPS against righties. You just can't, you just can't do that, right? The, the righties have a 321 BA against him. So you can't have a 321 batting average against the vast majority of hitters. That's just not going to fly, even if you're fantastic against against lefties, which he is, right? So splits are not always what we might think. People say reverse splits. I just think... Movement profiles work certain ways. It's just what it. It's just kind of what it is. His his style against the hitter style is different than what we might normally expect. So I would have Kirby third, but don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, right? So even though I have him third, I think he's interesting and needs to be looked at further. I, I, but other than I guess I have too much on Kirby. With Kirby, I think well they skipped AAA when they first brought him up. He went right from AA to the show. And he wasn't really ready, I don't think. There was flashes, and then he went down, and now. He's looked very solid when he's since he's come back. When you look at his walk rate, three point three percent walk rate. I mean, oh, love that. That's just. I, I think I saw a good question yesterday on Twitter. I think it was Eric Cross who put it out. Which starter in Seattle, if you could just take one going forward, would you take between Logan Gilbert and Kirby, Luis Castillo, and Robbie Ray? That's a tough wow. question. It's a tough question. If you could just have one, and I think George Kirby was leading the poll, but. It's, it's it's tough. He's shown a lot of improvement, but to take him over Luis Castillo, I, I don't know about that yet. Yeah, man. Kip Rimmer, I don't think we've yet to see Castillo out of Cincinnati yet. And just, again, part of the work that's always going on, the boat in the ocean, all that stuff. Cincinnati is cores to me. <laughs> Nothing short, of course. And, and the best way I have to, to back it is I had to adjust my 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 algorithm. I had, you know what I mean? Like you, you eventually realize that the back testing is coming up, that everything is falling short in Cincinnati, right? So we're talking about in games in Cincinnati, but that also came with not only a bad hitting environment, as if that was a bad enough job, they paired it with the worst infield defense you could find for a 55% ground ball pitcher. So we don't really know. We don't really know what is in front of Luis Castillo because He's been great, and he had the worst context imaginable. This is almost like Herman Monquez getting freed when he was excellent that one year. He was so good, even in cores. You know, I would, I think I would probably have to go Castillo because he showed us the most so far against the most odds. After that, I would have to go. I think I would go Gilbert 
because I think he's been a victim of some matchups this year. Again, he's one of my favorite young pitchers. I have on all my teams on my home keeper league, which is like the highest praise I could give somebody. And I know I've been, I just know I've been benching him. Okay, look, this is funny. I brought this up right now. Yes, I know for, okay, I knew this was, I knew this was right. I'm not just making this up. So I got three, four, five of his last six starts are New York, Houston, and Toronto. So going backwards, Yankees, Yankees, Astros, Astros. Yeah, that'll put a damper on, that'll put a damper on your season, dude. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's just, that's, if you were assuming 30 starts, this is something I used to bring up about drafting pitchers in the NL West in total, really, because if you were going to get three or four games in cores, you're talking about 12% of your whole workload. Are non-startable? Like, is that really? It was actually Darvish when he made the move to, to San Diego. I was like, I'm not sure if we want him three times in cores. And if you don't want him three times in cores, you have to pull 12% of his starts. Then you have to, hey, you get replacement, but you, it's a second round draft pick in fantasy terms, you know? So Gilbert, I think is, is it, it after that, because I don't know. I gave up 13 against the Yankees. I didn't start him. You know what I'm saying? I didn't start him. I just didn't start. Him. Like, who starts people against the Yankees? Wrong with you. <laughs> Not really many players you can comfortably start against the Yankees. You are a Yankee fan. Uh, did Big you watch? Time, yeah. Did you watch the game last night against uh, Seattle? Uh no, no. It's all, it was on. It's all after my bedtime. Plus, I was I was getting ready to uh, to puke because we dropped that uh, Baltimore game, the Toronto game. <laughs> Nothing worse than sitting through a rain delay and then blowing a lead. You know? Oh, you're telling me I'm Jays fan sitting. There oh thinking. God. Thinking it's it's done, you know. I I turned it off during the rain delay, and then I saw it was back on. And then, of course, it was Rugnet Odor who hits the home run. Who Toronto fans will always hate because of that Jose Batista punch. And even right. yes, even yesterday, he booted a ball, and then Blue Jays Twitter is all ah, he's so shit, blah blah blah. And yeah. then of course, of course, he hits the home run. Would you say pitching is more what you're what you're adept at is yes. analyzing pitchers? Yeah, yeah. Oh, one thousand percent. And the reason is my professional handicapping work. It makes a perfect circle Venn diagram with fantasy in terms of starting pitching. It's the same thing. So that's why I'm like a walking 55 standing gains points in NFPC Roto. Unfortunately, unfortunately, the, the back end of that is I'm like a walking 20 points in hitting because of how very difficult it is and all the other things that go to it outside of, you know, people think, well, you know so much about baseball. Yeah, well, that's, hello. That's not all it takes. My handicapping work is team-based, a lot of the offenses, team-based trend indications in the team space. Daily play does have hitters involved, but you're basically optimizing the best players in the best scenarios, right? So it's 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 dissimilar from fantasy and DFS, you're choosing between the best. You know, you're choosing between Aaron Judge and Vlad Guerrero and fantasy. That's not what you're doing. You have to fill in with other stuff. I've done well this year. This is the first time I've I would consider myself like a representative NFBC player for the quality of analyst that I like to think of myself as, you know, but I also, because I do so many things I've pushed further in handicapping and I think it's brought some appeal to me, but I like to be very clear with people. Like I was a points player coming up. Here's the other problem, Joe is I was a points player. So I'm very good at pure hitter analysis. That doesn't translate into Roto almost whatsoever because I want, you know, disciplined hitters that don't chase that walk and get on base. On base percentage is OPS, which begets points, runs and ribbies, which are points. OPS is at the four of point play, DFS, any of that stuff, you know, where it really matters. When you get to 
fantasy, Roto in particular is what I mean, I personally have struggled weighing the specialty stuff. And then I keep overcorrecting. Like, oh my God, my batting average, because I was very good finding home runs, my batting average was terrible. So this year I said, all right, I'm going to be great at batting average. But I think like many other people, a lot of the 18 home run guys that we thought we were getting are more like 11 home run guys, right? So if you try to build your team with 2020 theoreticals, right? 18, 18, 15, 15 type of guys. You have what I have, which is leading the league in steals and tons of average, but not enough power. And now you're trying to refill it, you know? So in eight yeah. million words or less. Today. Points leagues are, I think they still give you a good indication. Like a lot of the times on my show, I'll look back at the top performers of the previous day. And usually really, what yeah. I, what I do is I look at who had the high, who was the highest scoring player in points leagues. Cause it's usually a good indication. It's not always one-to-one, but it's, it's a pretty good, it gives you a pretty good idea of who was the top performers the previous day. I focus more so on head to head category. That's my, that's wow. what I came, that's what I came up playing. Uh, I like Roto okay, but I like that week to week. Every Sunday is a playoff game pretty much. Every Sunday you gotta, you know, it's up to you whether you're gonna win your week or not. You gotta decide to sit or start different pitchers, who to stream. It's like every week is a different playoff series. I don't know. You play much head to head? Well, my very first league was head to head categories. It left a sour taste in my mouth because of my inexperience. I got jobbed in the playoffs, not understanding how to kind of finagle the rules, which people do. Like we had some rate stuff came in K over nine was one of the categories. Oh. So I didn't realize I got served relievers and he blew, you know what I mean? Like he just really kind of took advantage of me. And then not realizing it like the night before this all kind of dawns on me. And you're thinking, how'd you make it through the season? I was just good. You know, I was just good. And I, I was very paid. I wasn't big. I wasn't very active. If you draft a good team and kind of look at it as a weekly thing, you could be good. And I made it to the end and thought, wait a minute. I probably should add six or seven pitchers right now and look for just total Ks. And I don't know why if I thought like it was unethical or you're not supposed to do it or whatever, and I didn't do it and lost it. It left a bad taste in my mouth. Now I play head-to-head points, which has the very same uh, roller coaster aspect to it, although a lot of times you know you may be buried on Sunday. But if you're not, man, it is extremely, extremely exciting. Hold on, I got something, I got something else for you. If you really like to lose the win thing, check this out. This is mm. really cool. Uh, especially if you have p- followers in yourself and you're playing different kind of formats. So this is for head-to-head. It also works for football. We play with power rankings. I don't know if you're familiar with this. So check yeah. it out. It takes a bit. Yeah, have you done this before? Uh, well, th- go in a little bit further. because All right. So, so for everybody, normally head-to-head standings, it's all head-to-head record, and that's it, right? Which obviously leaves you vulnerable for all types of ridiculous stuff to go on. In my home league, I was last in the standings, head to head standings. I have all the receipts. You can check it out. I was posting on Twitter to make my points about why power rankings is so much better than regular H2H. But what power rankings does is it splits it into three different categories. If it's a 12 man league, then think of it like roto standings. If you're first, you get 12 points. If you're last, you get one point. And if you add the three columns together, you get 36. That's the top possible score. Okay. So it makes it's an, it, one, it's like an aggregate, but it takes head to head standings just the way it normally be. So one third is still nonsense. You know what I mean? Like that's, that was my pitch. I was like, for all the people that think, you know, this is how it is. I, I just don't understand those arguments. We're not playing that, but. Okay, so one third of it is still that is having to win every week for those you know for the boomers out there. So mm. the, then the one in the middle is all play, so it takes your record out of eleven, right? Because you're the twelfth, so it, you're out of twelve out of eleven. I'm sorry, all play. You play the entire league every week. The best record is eleven and zero, so the top 
four, gets a 12 in the head-to-head standing, and gets a 12 in the middle standing. But they have an 11-0 and record against the league that week. Okay? Okay. Every week it takes that is the score, but it combines them all. Right? So on a weekly basis, it's, it, it's, it's graded. But they, I'm sorry, it's cumulative. The middle one is cumulative. Right, so eleven and zero. You go zero and eleven the next week. You have an eleven and eleven, and that's what gets slotted the totals in the middle. But it's all play. So you're playing the entire. You're playing the entire league where now every point matters. You're watching other games, other head-to-head comps, which was never, ever, ever the case. Right, and yeah. the third one, and the third one is total points, which is really at the center of a lot of the complaining. And for lack of a better phrase, it's me either doing a lot of the complaining for its work, people. Um, even though I'm a commissioner and a complainer, you know, I like to wear many. I like to wear many hats. But the problem was, you have always we would have that guy who said, "I this is this is fundamentally ridiculous." The commodity which we deal with is points. I have the second most points over a six-month season, and I'm not in the playoffs, right? That, kind of, frankly, it's ridiculous right, when yeah. you think about it. There's, and, and, but that's the way it goes. And you know what? Some, there is an argument to be said you weren't consistent enough, right? Because that probably means that you topped out with giant scores, then got your ass handed to you other times or whatever. But the fact of the matter is, a point is a point is a point. And if somebody had the second most, they're not in the top six. That's a problem. I think there's a problem. So – we had this, and of the biggest complainers you've ever met, it took me two years to institute it because I had to keep referencing it as we'd be witness it, real injustices in real time. I have to keep bringing it up. And now we have it. Zero complaints because you can't – There's no, there is nothing – there's nowhere left to go. You know what I mean? There's nowhere left to argue. You're either not good enough against the field, you either didn't have enough total points, or you're not winning enough games. You can't – you just can't get around it. The best teams are the six best teams at the end. And it really has made home play so much better for everybody because it's also kept it a lot more competitive, right? The very good team doesn't have to tank and sell off. Why would you? That's crazy, really. Anyway, yeah, that, just, just a thought. It's cool. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. That point thing really strikes a nerve with me because I would, I've only done fantasy football for the last couple of seasons. And I think I was second in total points and then finished fifth or something. It's just, I, what I wish, even if it wasn't like mainstream, is that we could see some category fantasy football leagues. Maybe I'm speaking wow. blasphemy, but I'd like maybe that's your niche, dude. Wow, that was pretty. I never thought of that. I've never seen it, but you know, one category for rushing touchdowns, one for rushing yards, dude, or like you receptions. Know, it could be receptions. Done. Yeah, dude, you could have receptions, scrimmage yards, total total touchdowns, passing yards. I mean, that almost kind of writes itself. Right? I think it could be done. Wow, I've never really seen it. I just don't know how no one's ever done every. Pretty much every kind of fantasy, whether it's hockey, NASCAR, golf, whatever. I mean, most of them you're looking at. You have a category formats and you have points formats. But I, dude, I think I'm at the side. I think if I brought that up at the athletic, I think they'd want me to write that. Hey, as long as I get uh, my one percent off the top there. <laughs> no, that that's a. I mean, you're talking I mean, again. I'm. Always, I love new ideas. I love to push stuff to the floor. That's my thing. Well, you fail a lot of times too, but so on. The idea of bringing balance. Bringing balance to the force, right? Bringing balance of, to fantasy football. Because again, it becomes this raw chase, which has now, especially with poor PPR, disproportionately weighted running quarterbacks. Anyway, but the, the, regardless of the sport, the thinking should be remaining the same, but we're trying to aim for the fairest outcome. I've always thought it should reflect the research. But that's, that's been my thing. That's been my beef when I argue with people about why I don't think Roto does it correctly is, I don't think it reflects our research, right? I mean, we, you, you as a roto player have to consistently draft inferior hitters 
in the top 50 because you need stolen bases, you know. So uh, everyone was everyone was so mad at me, but I kept telling them, Tommy Edmund is not this player. Sell, sell this player. This is not Tommy Edmund. You have the wrong... He's in the writing a really hot sine wave right now, and the bottom end of that is going to be ugly, and he has been flat-out gross, right? Tommy Edmund, and to be honest, Tommy Edmund has been one of the most damaging players in fantasy because he's 100% started, right? So that's another one to think about. We're here just kicking everything. But people, keep it, you know, because this is a problem of my own. We're talking about fantasy being good at it, right? I guess that's the point. I have a habit sometimes of leaving hitters in the lineup just because they're healthy. So I think one of the things that I've really picked up this year, and you sparked it when you mentioned looking at the recent data. It's, I'm not saying look at recent data to overreact to it, but you want to know if Nick Senzel is old for his last 29 and you're rolling him out there with no good reason. You know, and the flip side of that, if Luis Rangifo is going absolutely bananas, you know what I mean? Like running those advanced boards led me and a lot of my followers to Rangifo and Aledmus Diaz this past month. Yeah, I'm benching Javier Baez for Ledmus Diaz. Sue me. But if you're just rolling out names and healthy players, you're not doing that. You fall behind. Yeah, there's a lot of players. I think Alec Bohm is another one recently who people aren't really – and I mean, this has gone on for about probably six weeks now, but people were just kind of done with him. He was not yeah, really I mean, rostered anywhere. And yeah. I, he's been – he's batted like over 400 for the last month yeah. now. So it's like another guy you just pick up, you look at the data, and if they, pedigree? If they if fall what? off, you drop them. Yeah. Plus pedigree, plus – you know, Kyle Schwarber in particular is spoke about in, you know, colleague circles as being very participatory and they're very, they're very involved. And I know it kind of part of it blew up in our face, although I'm going to be going back to the well next year. Schwarber was at the center of the Dalback improvement that we saw in the second half this year. Unfortunately, I really think Bobby Barrow's got a tough go. I think he particularly was punished by the wet ball early on, and I don't think he ever got the playing time he should have. And then I don't know if you've noticed, check out Bobby Dalek's rolling graph. His, his Z-contact graph looks like our early day doji chart or something, bro. It's like, it's a flat, it's a straight up. Dude, if I were to tell you last year, because that was the thing, Bobby Dalek's just flat out banned, which is the worst analysis ever. His rolling chart for in-zone contact is in the high 80s to 90. That's not nothing. That's you. You, you can't just yeah. slip past that. The problem is he's striking out like crazy. But beyond that, the problem is that's okay for a guy like him. We want him aggressive and swinging, but he's got to get enough playing time to maximize. That's another one too. Is make sure guys are playing. You know, I added guys that were hitting and without notice, like uh, Trace Thompson. I thought was a pretty good ad for the Dodgers, lighting up the advanced leaderboard, popping plus four hundred x Wobis for thirty days straight. And then you notice the guy's just not playing. He wouldn't play. He was playing nine days in a row. I mean, you're an everyday player for the Los Angeles Dodgers. And then just like that, gone. And I, I started him a week, Joe, where I don't even think he played. Maybe a, a day or two. It hurts, but I wasn't. You really got to be on it, right? You got to be on it. Well, I added Vargas when he got called up by the Dodgers in a couple of 15s. and nice, I, think even, I, th- I think even 112, but he's already been sent back down now. So it's like. Yeah, they've been nice very. Ross spot. Yeah, they've been very fluid. Uh, but I still – I don't think you made the wrong move. I think we've started to learn now which of the organizations uh, – we need to be a little more, like, reticent, just pump the brakes on a touch. The Dodgers seem to be like – it's very strange. It seems to be over-aggressive almost. Trace Thompson looks awesome. If he was not – he was the guy you decided to give a shot to. He produced. 
in a very pressure-filled environment, when is the answer to pull the playing time? I just don't – I don't know. To me, I don't get it. And they're a very sharp team, obviously. Oh, maybe the sharpest team, although – Yeah, yeah, I, I know. I'm sure the Yankee fan in you doesn't want to – No, to I, well, I've actually been bashing Yankee pitching development. I don't think it's very good. I mean, and I think the proof's in the pudding. Um, why did the Yankees have Sonny Gray and Lance Lynn before they were any good? Again, right? Gray showed his <laughs> potential, came to New York, he stunk. Lynn showed potential, came to New York, he stunk. Both left and completely broke out afterwards. So the Yankees are not very good at developing pitchers. Cole, I think they need to do a little more work with. He, attack plans are not great. They haven't really developed any of the young guys, and if they do, we don't ever see them. We don't see Clark Smith. We don't see Debbie Garcia. You know, we don't even see – we don't see these guys. Funny, Caprillion is now pitching. It looks excellent, to be honest. It just He's buried in Oakland. But, yeah, I don't – the Yankee. I'm a pessimist Yankee fan. While we're on the Yankee topic, I want to talk about Jamison Tyone quickly here. Yeah. Overall, if you look at the season numbers, you'd say, yeah, he's worthy of, of rostering. He pitches for the Yankees. He gets a lot of wins. He doesn't really walk anybody. It has not been smooth sailing recently. Are you, are you, do you think he can be a fantasy asset these last few weeks or are you ready to cut bait on him? Well, uh, I don't, not sure if you have much of a chance. So I think we have to take the lawyer way out and go with it depends. There are certainly matchups where he's viable. The tough go for him is Yankee Stadium is a very tough hitting environment at this time of year in particular. So depending on the hitters he's facing, depending on the hitter, the team he's facing, there might be stretches where you, you know, you just can't back him. And it's, that doesn't mean I don't like him. I just mentioned Logan Gilbert. I'm talking about one of my favorite pitchers and I haven't started him in six weeks, man. You know what I'm saying? Guys got Houston and New York every day. So I just not going to marry that to me, especially summertime. Like I mentioned, match up probably greater than sign season stats, you know? Yeah. I'm just trying to take a look here at what he's done recently. And I've had him on a few teams for a lot of the year and you know, he's got 11 wins. I mean, that's right there. You compare him to somebody like Frankie Montes, you know, who, got like three wins or something it just it just goes to show you not really that i'm trying to make much of a point here but just the amount of wins you can rack up just pitching for a good team just by being mediocre it's yeah have you noticed that the 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 arsenal shifting is unusual for the yankees that i would say if you if you bring up the chart for tyon he was throwing the sinker then they spiked it all together like outright dropped it which you don't see a lot. They tried to supplant that with hyper usage of the fastball, meaning so he was throwing, let's say, splitting fastball sinker 34-18. So to me, right off the bat, that's way too many fastballs in the first place. I'd be looking for more breaking stuff. This is into like the end of June. For a couple of starts, he dropped the sinker altogether, took the fastball up to 57. That's where he's going to get in trouble. I remember we had where I started betting. When I picked up on that, we went to bet against him because of a lot of the things that we talk about. As mentioned, fastball diagnostics, his are not there for that. A 94 mile an hour fastball, sure, he has, he has 13 inches of ride, which is probably right around average, but he only has five inches of run, right? ASR arm side run, which is for the horizontal movement. You need more than that. You're not going to be able to live 94, 13, 5. That's just not, that's not going to do it with a 52% use. So I think it's not so much worrisome. I think the things in here can be fixed. I'm just a little bit surprised because it's it's a little bit out of character for the Yankees. Something that I just noticed. You don't see them jerk pitching arsenals. That's just not something they do. And I also would expand maybe there is something wrong if they decided to push that pitch to a 50% use rate 
only to pull it back when they realized it wasn't good enough. So there are, there are some concerns, but what are you trading for? I don't think the waiver wire, I don't think you could do any better, right? What would, you, would you agree replacement level pitching has never been worse? Yeah, I mean, unless you were able to get lucky on one of these guys, like we were mentioning earlier, whether it's uh, Braxton Garrett or Kirby or one of those guys, Reed Detmers, uh, Nick Lodolo, even if they were just floating around, you might have got lucky. But if you're talking 12, 15 team leagues, especially 15s, there's really not much. If you're talking 10 yep. team leagues, you might be able to find a name who maybe shouldn't be on the waiver wires. Like right. Alex, Co- Alex Cobb is a good example for me. I'm Very a good. Huge, huge fan of Alex Cobb. Uh, with this cutter, though, that Tyone is throwing, according to fan graphs, it's a cutter. It's never been something he's thrown before. What do you think of that in particular? Do you have an opinion on it, really? Well, if you're going to introduce something, I'd maybe like it to perform a little bit better. right? So that pitch you're talking about, the new cutter, has a 285 XBA and a worse than 400 X log. Now, that the XBA is, is not any good, for a cutter. You're going to have to do better than that. It means he's probably probably working it too high up in the zone. 25% whiff will get it done, but then I'd also probably say, I don't know if there's enough disparity there, right? It's not really an off-speed. It's not really an off-speed pitch. So he throws 94. The cutter is coming in at like 91. I think he just might be making it easier for hitters to hit it. I think that's reflected in the contact rate. So maybe they're laying off it on the edges and being able to sit on it, right? You know, taking off Four from a 94, I don't think leaves you with off-speed pitch, I think it, or even a change of pace. I think it just leaves you with a more easily demolished fastball. So I, I think I, we're watching them tinker in real time. I think that's kind of – that's a fact. We're seeing it. It's just a matter if they get the dials right or not in time. I'm not sure. Before we do let you go here, I do want to ask you a couple of betting questions, a couple of futures, right. and also a couple about today. Bobby Witt Jr. is a bet that I've placed – a couple different places actually at different prices. But the one that I got that I really liked, and I might be a fool for this because Julio is just so revered, but I got him at 12 to 1. And I figured, you know, I'll throw 10 bucks there, nothing crazy. But do you think that Bobby Witt can have a chance to sneak in here because Julio's missed some time? Will Will that impact the voters in any way, you think? This is a bet on Julio's injury. Yeah, pretty much. I would also then expand that he has a probably better than 12 to one chance of getting re-injured because if one more, one more smack on the hand, if the next one's a break, the season's over. And then the punishment from the missed time takes effect and Bobby Witt runs away with this. So I would say 12 to one is a, is a misprice. And I think it's a good bet. I also wouldn't be expecting him to win it. If Julio comes back Friday, like he's supposed to and finishes out, I don't, I think it's over. I think. Yeah. I, 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 there was, man, luckily for everyone else, there was a chance he could make a run at the actual MVP race the way he was playing. Now that, that ship has sailed. He's just missed too many games. But rookie of the year is firmly in place for J Rod, especially with the, gosh, just the, the rising tide is the Mariners right now. You know, they're a, they're a house of fire, all the new added pieces. And when he's leading off of them, they're one of the most dangerous lot of automatically. Just facing him is almost like worse than facing Acuna right now, it feels like. So I think it's J-Rod's race to lose. But at 12-1, to 1, it's definitely worth betting against the injury because, unfortunately, right, injuries could happen anytime. Yeah, I thought it was weird. Jeremy Pena is actually more of a favorite for Rookie of the Year still than Bobby Witt. I thought he's kind of fallen off a little bit. I don't know if the books have really adjusted there, but yeah, good call. I'm kind of just not. I'm obviously not hoping for Julio to be hampered by this. I just I thought for ten bucks, you know, 
returned like 120, 130 there for very low risk. And I think Bobby Witt's been in any other year, he's likely the rookie of the year. It's just because Julio's been so yep. exceptional. And you mentioned Acuna. I think there are some people who are going to push Julio ahead of Acuna uh, in redraft and maybe even in dynasty for next season. I think it's very possible. Wait, wait, wait. How is who again, who, assuming health from Julio, he has to be the 101. How is he not the, he's got to be the 101. He has to be. Yeah. No? I mean, I think if Tatis, when he runs, Tatis might, if he comes oh, back, you could have that, man. I don't know. You could have that. I not think. for me, not for me. But I think if he comes uh, back, if he comes back in the last month and he hits, let's call it seven home runs, he steals seven bases, he bats close to three hundred. He's gonna go in the yeah. first. He's gonna go in the first round. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm punishing him for the work ethic right now. I think I was real. I was really, really upset that he got hurt doing stupid stuff to Tease and not reporting it and stuff. Because again, I, I now I've been in the regular person world. I've been considered a high wage employee at points in my life, you know, not compared to these guys. Yeah. But I've also, I've also, I've also made personal choices that got in the way of work as a younger man, and other people suffered. And again, you know, you live to the consequences. You hope you improved on it. But the fact of the matter was, I professionally hurt other people, and that really stuck with me. You know, that kind of stuck with me. It's irresponsible. It's selfish. And I just worry with that kind of money. So that's why, man, I, and I love the players. I'm a union guy at heart. But, like, to guarantee them money so they could go do circus acts on the ledge of a cliff riding a unicycle or something that just shouldn't be in the cards. I'm not, and I'm, I hate, I'm not saying this guy only be wed, you know, tied to the radiator and not make sure he's wrapped in bubble wrap, not getting hurt. But come on, man. Seriously, you're right. Because we're helmets now. Come on. Come on, I mean, think of there's literally million people who like look up to you and kids that want you to perform well. You're the face of a generation, bringing in other races and different cultures. Like, dude, come on, man, we're relying on you to be responsible inside and outside the lines. That's been my beef with Tatis. He did it once. Who's to say he won't do it again? You're gonna find it. This guy got, oh, I got hurt juggling axes. I can't believe I got hurt. You know, and it's like I'm just, I'm just tired of it. The whole that, thing it hurt me. It hurt, it hurt me. Oh, absolutely. Especially if you drafted really early and you picked him, you know, first overall or top five yeah. somewhere, you were, you were screwed for the year. It's kind of similarly with DeGrom if you drafted early. I think yeah. the whole thing about screwing over employees or fellow coworkers, I, I mean, everybody's done it when you're, when you're a kid or <clears throat> excuse me, maybe when you're a young adult, you know, you're working at a hardware store, you go out Saturday, you drink too much, you call in sick on Sunday. That's one thing. When you're Tatis and they're asking you, how did you hurt your hand? And he said it was in one of my accidents. And what do you mean one of your accidents? Yeah, right, like, right. It's like, you know, you're making out of, I don't remember what his contract is, 350, 400 million in that yeah. range. It's like, he, he should be able to, to be a little bit smarter, you'd hope for anyway. And I know there was talk that not that they ever would have done it, but the Padres could have voided his contract. They could have just said, you know, you've, you're in breach here. And that, not that they would do it. You don't want to alienate your star player, but. Really, really. You just stupid. wish he knew, but yeah, that's also all for doing that because I'm having that conversation. I, I, quite literally, we're having the conversation. Do you understand what this means? You're getting this money for more than what happens between the lines. Again, I'm not asking you to go solve world peace, and I'm not saying you can't do the Derek Jeter and go date a million women. No one is saying go be a free American baller. Go do your thing. Anybody that falls off a modus, a bicycle, you break your wrist, little bones in your hand. It's reckless, and there's a reason why those things are in contracts to protect. 
protect the brand, dude. Act like you've been there before. That's what I don't like. That's what I don't like about it. It comes off as childish and immature, and we haven't heard him say anything about it. So I just, I, I can't. You're talking about another one. You know why? Can anyone guess who, if there's one person in this room that spent a second pick on Titi somewhere where they spent money on him? Yeah, me. You know, and because it wasn't good. Oh, this guy's, he heals like Wolverine. He'll be back in June. Don't worry about it. He'll be back in July. And you find it wasn't one accident. It was multiple accidents. And you get reported. And we know if you don't get things addressed immediately, time timetables can be thrown off. And it's, your body can start healing incorrectly. So, like, it, it, it's just ridiculous. It's so ridiculous, right? It's, a, it's just so ridiculous, man. So, again, I love him. He, the game is better when he's there. He is a generational talent. I, lo- I love him. But, like, dude, you got to get your head right. And if I'm going to be going, I want the guy who's known to have the work ethic. So, like, I know we did the one-on-one discussion there. But that he, expect that was a teaser for next winter, you know. Yeah, one-on-one is going to be definitely interesting. I think, you know, even Trey Turner is somebody who should be considered in that spot. Oh, yeah. Last year he was, I think, the number one or two overall player. This year, top five again. It's like that kind of consistency. I mean, free agency yep. will, will tell us, really. If he leaves the Dodgers, maybe not. But a lot of – there's probably – five or six players again this year who will compete for that 101 Soto, Jose Ramirez, um, Tatis, Julio, Acuna. So right, Soto can do no wrong. I don't think there's been a single article written about how he how bad he's we're just we I refuse to say anything bad about him. He's great. Oh, <laughs> he gosh. can he can go juggle axes. I don't care. <laughs> he can he can do whatever he likes. Let's talk <laughs> about uh let's talk about some pitching here though. I want to just briefly go over the AL Cy Young. Verlander, currently I'm looking at bet 365. Verlander, minus 150. The next best is Cease at plus 300. And then Shane McClanahan at plus 600. Is this Verlander's to lose here? Would you be trying to hedge on Cease? Or what, what, what are you thinking? I mean, depending on the size of the ticket I had and the odds, I don't remember what Verlander was going off with preseason. But I, I think there's a, a large discussion about I would get a sniff of a hedge if you can get something in there. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. Especially people, if you play with the dials of the risk, where no matter what happens, the venture becomes profitable. I think that's always a great, that's a great, great way to attack betting and risk ventures. They'll always have more opportunities. That being said, don't throw it all away. If you got Verlander, it's his, it is certainly his race to lose. I think strikeouts matter a little bit less, right? I mean, we've seen Verlander maybe dial back to strikeouts a touch. But he's he's been phenomenal. He really has been. He's just been great. He's been great. You know, you see the whip popper off the page. It's sub one. He's just impossible to get to. And I don't think the competition is as stiff maybe as it had been in prior years. You know, you're going to have a hard time wrapping up your cease with the walk rate, yeah. I think. And McClanahan is in the conversation. He's certainly in the conversation. You mentioned number one. The recency, so right now, it's if there is a problem, how he responds to it, if he finishes strong, and if they let him go, right? So it's not, these are, these are all very easily like check, 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 check. But you have to consider that before you're trying to go up against Justin Berlin and the who. Right now, it felt like the Astros telegraphed this. This is the end. I don't think there's another contract after this one. He got two years. He's going until the wheel falls off. That's it. We knew the Astros started the season. They were a little bit, had a, a need for starting pitching. They have a need for innings. And right now he's leading the young men. He's leading the young bucks in innings pitch. I just can't, just can't believe this guy, man. A big L for me this season. I knew he was awesome, but I guess I picked the wrong old injured guys to avoid. And that's just kind of what it is. But I think it should speak to our inability to predict these things. That being said, 
I don't know if I'd really put anybody here. I, I don't know if I'd really want to get a slice anywhere. If I had to, I guess the value is with McClanahan because of the odds. I mean, again, simple analysis, caveman analysis. There's only three people in the running, and you said he's six to one. So I got a decent chance. Like, it's not, like I said, it's kind of overly simplified. But he doesn't have a six to one chance to win this. He has a three to one. He does have a three yeah. to one chance. He does have a three to one chance. And we're not just talking about purely from a, like, a logical standpoint. Pitching injuries are real. Justin Verlander is old, and he's not getting younger. I never wish injuries on anybody. But it's one forearm strain from you wake up in the morning. And McClanahan is now the favorite, or him and Cease are both minus 130 or something. You know what I mean? Because they want the market. They're going to let the market decide. Last betting point, because I know you do a lot of this stuff. People, please, one of the biggest mistakes that's made out there. Using this nebulous theory of Las Vegas as this predictor of the future. Okay, stop doing that. Las Vegas doesn't know... Who's going to win? I have no idea. I love that line is fishy. No, it's not. Sometimes lines are bad and sharp money comes in. Las Vegas people does not predict the winner. All they do is move the fulcrum, right? That's that little piece under the seesaw. They move the base seesaw to bring in even action. When you see the fulcrum move, it's not because Vegas feels any differently about the game. It, it, all, all they felt about the game with the opening line, they try and get it as close as possible. They often don't. The money dictates it. And then the market moves the fulcrum. Okay. That I had to get that because you get a lot of I literally get this all the time. I don't know. Vegas has me six to one. Is something going on? No, there isn't. The money is where it is. Justin Verlander right now is the GOAT and feels and seems invincible. But this is professional baseball and pitching injuries we're talking about. No one is invincible. It's uh, it's just it's a matter of simple odds on an injury. You know, and you have to think to yourself, what did we wake up with the odds at? Where would you set it, Joe? If you wake up, JV is down, um, Cease McClanahan. Is it, is it Shane Mack, Sugar Shane ahead? I think... Well, first off, I think if McClanahan had these struggles in April and then the rest of the year had been, if it was kind of like a reverse of what it has been, I think that he would probably be the favorite. Now, if let's say Verlander, knock on wood, goes down tomorrow, I think it does probably go to cease just because of the recency bias. It's been like, what is it, 13 straight starts? Oh, uh, he's been straight starts. Yeah, he's been great. He has been great. So and just how crazy is it that he was not an all-star? Just as a side note, this guy's a sub-2 ERA. All-star game's stupid. All-star game's just stupid. God, ridiculous. so stupid. Ridiculous. It's the dumbest thing ever. And and they took our paper ballots. I hate I, I don't know if you're old enough for that. I don't think you're old enough for that. But anyway. uh, I don't think I ever filled out a paper ballot. Oh, dude, just quick. We used to go, you, if you went to the stadium, they'd have a legit, like a little paper menu, like a short order menu for a takeout place. And it had all the positions with names. And the ballots were little baseballs, and you had a, your pencil, and you poke out the baseball next to the name, like a scantron type of deal. Oh, okay. you, yeah, like a hanging Chad, right? We did that thing. Yeah. Punch it out, and then you put it in the mail. You put it in a little mailbox on the way out, and God, it was awesome. It was awesome. I'm such a boomer. But it really was awesome. It really was. Oh, that was yeah, cool. Also, also That's gives definitely cool. Yeah, I guess I think- you're right. I guess I didn't – maybe I shortchanged CC. Again, I didn't have my eye on him. I guess I didn't weigh enough how great he's been. And I shouldn't have tied my descent to the walk rate. Maybe, you know, I see double digit walk rate. And I, I know uh, writers look at that stuff, but man, as good as he's been, I guess. Yeah. Maybe, maybe I was, maybe I, I was errant there. I'm a big Shane McClanahan guy. Maybe it would be like a cease 
minus 160 McClanahan even money type of deal. Like they're both the favorites, yeah. but maybe Cease is, is a heavier favorite. I, I, I think I, looking back, I think I was wrong there. I could see that for sure. I think Cease might actually have the highest walk rate among qualified starters. He's right up there. So it's, it's kind of baffling, like a sub two ERA and then like a 1.15 whip. It's just like that. That's a very good whip, but just yeah. when you have a sub two ERA. You'd expect it to be like sub, sub one on the whip there. Uh, Shohei Otani, 22 to one. He's the only other one who I think maybe has an outside chance. Probably not, but I don't know. If he doesn't get, I think it's either MVP or Cy Young for him. I think it's going to be one or the other. I just, maybe it's, maybe it's a dumb feeling, but I feel like if Judge gets MVP, which he probably should, then maybe they'll go Otani for Cy Young. I, no, I don't, I don't think so. No, I don't think so. No, I don't think he can get to Cy Young. I don't think so. I don't think it's there. Again, maybe two injuries away. We're betting on two injuries now. <laughs> one. I, I, I should stay a point. I don't think you passed Cease. Yeah, and this I, is still a healthy Verlander. Yeah, I hear you. I just, I feel like Otani, there's such an affection from the analytical people, especially. Um, I don't know. I see you look at the the odds on Judge and. And what is it right now? It's Judge is minus 500, Otani plus 375. Everybody's just already, it's like a foregone conclusion almost that Judge is going to be the MVP. I feel like they might try and give Shohei something, but that's just my tinfoil hat brain uh, working. Yes, right I, man, Aaron Judge, I owe my man a serious apology. Because, <laughs> I mean, this entire season, I just kept hanging on to the fact that there was almost no way Judge could, you know, compared to two awesome stat lines and like maybe Otani has not been otherworldly on both sides. Like we thought maybe he has been, maybe it's catching up to him. Maybe he's tired. Maybe it's a line of protection thing. The angels just can't stay healthy. Mike Trout, you know, I would, I don't have like a split tool like that. That's more of a football thing, but I'd love to see Otani with Trout, Otani without Trout splits. You know, maybe without being without Trout, maybe did bury him. I had been saying on Vsin all season that I just didn't think Aaron Judge could do enough to win it. Now it seems like he can't lose it. But I'm not – I don't know. Man. What Otani does is so special that I know people see Judge lighten up every offensive board. Otani is tied with him in war. You know, and again, writers look at this stuff. So remember, it's this is not necessarily me saying – you know, I'm not saying chicken nuggets are better than pasta Alfredo, but I'm feeding kids, right? You know what I'm saying? You have to you have to play to the audience. What I'm saying, you know what I mean? It's a it's a bunch of kids. I don't want classical music, even if that's what you and I want to listen to while we work. That's just you gotta. Those are tough lessons for people a lot of times. But I don't. That's not fair. Okay, do you want to be right? You want it to be fair? It just doesn't work that way. You're like you have to exist. You got to play within the rules as they're constructed. If you'd like to change the rules, we can talk about that afterwards, right? We can take the proper recourse to change something. But right now, that's exactly. not it. It's baseball writers that are, I don't want to say they're like highly emotional, but they're highly they're highly emotional Twitter beings. We know this, and they're swayed by stuff the public does not like. I mean, this again is. Awards and Hall of Fame is at part of the friction between the baseball media and the public. You know, I don't mean just me betting public. I mean like the consuming baseball public because yeah. they we feel they don't feel represented because of stuff like that. So I try and put myself in that shoes, and I man, maybe I have to bet Otani. I guess I should just put my money where my big mouth is because at the time they were tied or or very close, and now 
If I, if you can get what, would say five to one or six to one right now? Uh, right now, I think it's plus three seventy five. Uh, uh, plus three seventy five. I got him at plus five hundred uh, a few weeks back and was okay with that. I just think he keeps doing things that are going to stand out to people. Last night he had a home run and he threw six shutout innings and got. It's ridiculous. Three. That's ridiculous. Yeah. That's an, you win the MVP. To me, that's it. You win the MVP. You win. That's how, then, that was my argument. And coming from a New Yorker, I mean, I don't know how many people in New York are going to be on that uh, on that same boat, but uh, no, you're not going to. You get a, you know, especially it's not. Just to say, the Yankees have some irrational fan base. It's been a rough go for the Yankees lately. But you're right. You're right. That's right. They all do somewhat. This is more like – so you have to understand the underpinnings there. So the Yankees stunk for a while while a lot of the people that were following it were coming up. Then they became really, really good. So you had a huge uptick in Yankee fandom in the late 90s because they were so, so, so very good. That kind of comes with a reputation. You hold on to the image. It lasts for a little while. They started getting sour again on the Yankees a few years after the, the Subway Series. Luckily for the Yankees, they won in 09. That was a miracle win for them. That really, well, everything aligned at the very end of the year for them. You know, the best player gets hot and decides to be clutch at the end. And like Damon and Matsui, guys that you could have seen kind of falling off a touch, really took off at the end. That Yankee team bet were, were the right, they were hot at the right time and won it all. That was a long time ago, still 13 years in Yankee years, a very long time. Fans feel like they've been disrespected. So now there is more like a, an overly protective element to it, I feel like. Because I, I noticed that from friends I have, you know, that are the first ones to say the Yankees stink. And now they're like, no, we're good. You know, we're good. And I'm like, well, I, I, I just think Ohatani is the MVP and I could go crazy. But like you said, if you could, dude, you struck out 12 guys and hit the game winning home run. Like, it's, <laughs> no, who does that? Yeah, I don't think it's as much of a runaway as the minus 500 would. would I think that's a fantastic point. That's a very good point, Joe. I think that that almost, there is opinion, but I feel like that's pretty close to objective. Yeah. Uh, between the two of them, there's, there's nobody else. I mean, Houston fans will throw Jordan Alvarez's name out there, but I mean, it's, it's, it's between Judge and Otani. How could you, how could you, if you're trying to pitch us Jordan, you're pitching us a pure offensive argument. Yeah. Judge is just ridiculous. I'm sorry. Come on. Yeah, even, yeah. Uh, even as a pessimistic Yankee fan. Like, I was looking at this today because I did on my fan- the fantasy segment of my Wednesday show, we mined the hitter leaderboard. So I do blast rate, which is the ideal subset of barrels. You know, I have access to stats. Maybe not everyone does. I don't put up the raw leaderboard. That's kind of pointless. Like, I'm not trying to advise people to go, and Aaron Judge, you can't do that. But I do see it. I'm, all right, you know, I'm, I'm looking to highlight interesting names. Maybe guys to trade for, guys we might be able to add, you know, Whatever. Judge's blast rate, again, ideal subset of, of barrels. Was like, I was like, your name is cartoonish. I think, I think he was over 22%, over <laughs> with a minimum of 75 play appearance. It's just absolutely ridiculous. It's just ridiculous, broken video game on easy setting. The next highest person, I believe, is 13. Jesus. Now, from a from a percentage standpoint. That is, like, to be, like, how could you be that far ahead of the entire field of a professional field in the most elite contact category? I mean, that is unheard. It really is unheard of. If we're going power, it's judged by a country mile, as my friends would say. He is, he's been special, man. I don't want to yeah. keep it too long here because I do know that you have uh, you have somewhere to run to. But I want to give you a chance to just tell everybody real quick. 
about what you got going on with the athletic with Mayo Media. Just real quick uh, rundown once again. Yeah, I appreciate it, Joe. I really do. I hope I had some fun. I hope you had some fun. I hope people oh, learn. Great. You know, learn something. You, you and I. That's one way you and I f- totally are very simpatico in. We do a, li- a lot of gi- right. You do a lot of giving. I, you, you do more giving than getting, and that's okay, right? Because yeah. giving is wonderful, and I, I hope people took something from that because you know, for all the handicapping I do, does anyone care if the Yes, I care. Toronto lost last night, you know, but no one oh. cares two days from now about the breakdown. You know what I'm saying? Like nobody cares about my analysis. No one, meaning no one goes and listens to game by game breakdowns after they happen. So I try and make it a point to leave. I call them the feathers in the, in the cap to leave you tools, the ability to fish going forward. And that's really, really at the center of all of my work. So if you're into just getting talked at really loudly, but really, you know, a lot of theory, but again, you know, it's theory. I joke, but theory is always at the center of its sustainability. And part of the joking is part of is sustainable. If you're going to work insanely hard at something all the time, you have to have outlets for fun or you're going to break down. People ask me how, I, again, the person to put in, we've seen quite a few baseball shows, baseball analysts, they're gone. The, the season burns to them. August hits, whether it's a shift to football or just, you and I spoke, there can be a general lack of enthusiasm from the public this time. We yep. get it. People on vacation, weather's getting hot, baseball's every single day, who's the front page. And then there's people like you and I who are still trying to bring it as if it was opening day. And if you're into that kind of stuff, I'm everywhere. Cork stats on Mayo Media Net. I'm at the Athletic doing baseball and football. I really like to pump the Cork Stats show for the month that's left. I'll be doing other stuff on Mayo Media. But if you're into this betting, I be on like, please watch my stuff. This is for you. If you're a new better, I promise I'm leaving you something that's going to make you better at it every single day. Because I, I kind of have taken this personally. The legalization of betting, yes, it opened up a means for me to give my content, which is fantastic. However, I'm fully aware of the downside and what can come with sports betting. And if you are not fully prepared with a risk management plan to strategize how you're going to stay in the arena, how you're going to deal with, again, the, with losing, right? How about this? I am the worst handicapper in the world because I lose all the time. No, everybody loses all the time. The people who don't lose all the time are lying to you. Okay, and I don't mean all the time, like every day, but you're going to lose. It's even going to happen in bunches, but it's up to you. How do you deal with risk? You know, do you decelerate risk into downswings, inherent downswings, rather than lean into it because you're due? That's one of the big mistakes gamblers make, you know. So please, people, sustainability. You can do this having fun. You can also do this and try and, you know, provide a secondary or tertiary type of income. But it's very hard work. You know what I'm saying? That's, I think, the yeah. other part of it is, well, you pick any idiot can pick games. Yes, any idiot can pick games. Not any idiot can turn a return on investment betting baseball every day. Be- if they're given a finite amount of money is really the key, right? Because if we're not counting, sure, you can be down 5 jillion units and nobody cares. I always tell people the best way, here's the last piece of advice that we'll all go, hopefully we haven't learned one last thing, a unit, which is the favorite betting standard, a unit is a unit, I guess. Hold your handicapper accountable. Demand to know what a unit is. Yeah. Demand. Demand to know. Demand. Because then you have people try and put a number on it, which is funny. You know, $100 is a unit. Well, I guarantee I could just use myself. Right now, $100 means very little to me. 
Five years ago, $100, I could not put $100 on a, on a baseball game. There's no chance. So I'm one person, forget trying to appeal to a million people. So we can't use totals. What can we use, Joe? Percentages. They speak the universal language. Best advice. One unit equals 1% of your stack. Once you're minus 100 units, you're out of business. Okay, that's how because that's that's the reality, right? Not these again nebulous, open-ended bookkeeping tricks that people use. That is going to make you're going to lose doing that. If you if you intend to bet recreationally, by all means, go nuts. I would just say don't bet with the rent money. Make sure you could lose it. But if you want to bet to make money, tie units to percentages, cap that percentage risk every day. Mine's generally at two percent max. And then get back to me with, one, how boring sports betting is, two, how difficult it is to make money at that speed, but then three, how you were able to stay in the arena long enough to understand that, which I think is probably the real key. That's that's a huge key. I hate when you see those sponsored ads on whether it's Instagram or Twitter, and the guy says, you know, I went 12-1 and one last night plus 84 units. It's like, get the hell out of here. You know, like it's... I hate that. I love transparency and it's something that you do. It's something that the betting guys who I work with do. They, they post their, their results every day. And if you don't like what someone's doing or you don't like their algorithm or whatever, then find somebody else. Five million unit well played. You're like, what the hell? What is this? What are we doing, people? What are we doing? And that's exactly it. When you see, you see people betting 10, 12 units. Now, granted, they can do whatever they want because they're not doing this properly. But you can't bet. 10 units if a unit is a percent, because then if you believe that, I'm sorry to say that's not an opinion, you're wrong. And you could just research road to ruin and you'll be you'll be led right to that. You if you because all right, yeah, I promise that was the last one. This is the very, very, very last one. <laughs> this is a very, 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 very last one. This is the truth. Why it matters so much. Take your finger off the trigger. Okay. And the reason is losing sucks, right? Uh uh-huh, right, groundbreaking stuff here. But Every bit you lose, 10% more you need to get it back. No bet is better than a bad bet. And it's not just like some cute, I wrote that article at The Athletic. If you end up subscribing now because I sold you on this for a dollar a month, it's not a bad deal. I would definitely go back. That's an evergreen article. Like it was like the art of F5 betting, but I do betting theory because it's what matters to me. You know, and um, wait, what was it? My, oh, made the very, 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 very last lesson was, yes, if you have $100 and you lose 10%, you have 90. If you win 10%, you have 99. If you continue to repeat the process, you end up at zero. You don't end up at 100. <laughs> if you don't, and that's what th- throws people off. Like, I made 10% and I lost 10%. I made 10%. Well, you look. Oh, my God. You, some people would say, well, so, you know, I made 10. I lost 10. I made 10. I lost 10. And they'll be like, oh, my God. I made 10. I lost 10. Because you're losing. You know what I mean? Like, that's an inevitable, that's an inevitable pathway to zero that most people are not. They're not understanding because they say, well, 100 is 99. It's the same thing. No, 1% is not, 1% is not the same thing. And those are really the things that I try and put on people is you leave generally going, wow, damn, sports betting sucks. <laughs> it can. It certainly can on particular nights. But I, for me, I use it more recreationally. Like I said, 10 bucks here, yeah. 20, 20 bucks there. It's not something I rely on. So if I lose right. the 10, if I lose the 10 bucks, I'm not going to, I know I'm not going to be that upset about it. Right. Well, uh, you're forcing it out of me. A, a very, 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 very prominent sports better told me this. 
if you find yourself either too high or too low on the outcome, you just bet too much money. People ask me, how much should I bet? And I had, I, I, I asked this question and I was told again by, by prominent sports better was you'll know when you don't care. Mm-hmm. And which is the opposite. Most people are doing it, looking, they're pacing back and forth. People ask me like, I've been called cold or like, Oh, you don't bet. Cause you don't care. And it's no, I just, I, it's worked into a rigid betting plan and I don't throw the baseball and I don't swing the bat. So like, what do you want me to do? I control the risk and I control the model and I deploy these things very strictly. And then I hope the probabilities play out in my favor. Crying and hemming and hoing. That has never, that has never helped anybody. And if anything, to go back to emotional capital, it probably is more likely to have you make a mistake an unforced error, right? Staying within yourself is very important to be so disciplined, especially when you start losing to not chase. So I was like a million betting lessons at once. I, I think that that stuff, that stuff really matters, man. That stuff really, really matters. You are truly one of the best in the industry. You can find him on Twitter at MLB Moving Average. Thank you, John, man. John Legaza, I we were going to do this again sometime, 100%. That this was a great time. Well, I see you at first pitch. Are you going to be in Arizona? No, 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 no. I'm no. at the point now where all my vacations have kids attached to them. Oh, well, take them, take them down to the desert. Oh, my God. You're right. <laughs> where is dad? He's drinking with baseball nerds. <laughs> oh, man. It's been a really great time. Like Thank I said. You. Find him on Twitter at MLB Moving Average. We will see you guys again tomorrow. Cheers. You know, when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks. That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.